concern on you four factors of effective Christian life. I give you the I give you some points. Point number one was observe doctrine. Remember what Jesus said, he said we are the light of the world and salt of the earth. So there are some things that are associated with being a Christian. The dominance, light. Jesus, um, Paul said, the light shineth in darkness, and darkness compared in not. So the Christian is light. He does not just have light, he is light. Jesus also called the Christian. Those who walk with him, he says, they are the soul of the earth. They are the preservation of the earth. So there are things that are associated with us, but not every Christian will have an effective life, effective Christian life, until he observes some things. Remember in Joshua chapter 1, verse number 8, it says, This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according all that is written therein. So you see the key there, that thou mayest observe to do according that all that is written therein. <clears throat> and it says, For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. So there are things you observe. He said that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. So there are things that you observe in the scriptures, the things that you observe to have an effective Christian life. So, so I, I gave some points. And point number one was observe doctrine. Observe doctrine. Observe doctrine. And I, I mentioned what doctrine meant. Mentioned that it is a theoretical component of our expected experiences. I said the boundaries of our of our doctrine is the Holy Scripture. So, um, in 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 doctrine in the Scriptures, you know, we're able to tell what we mark correctly as part of our experiences. For example, um, if a Christian saw a vision. That was not in line with God's word. No matter how dramatic the vision or detailed it was, it will not be accepted because the foundation of our Christian life is the Holy Scriptures. The Bible says that no um, foundation can any man lay um, except that which is laid by the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Bible talks about the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And when you see the Scriptures, you see the work of the prophets and the work of the apostles of Jesus Christ. So that's the foundation of all that we believe. So doctrine is so important for a Christian. You have to be um, well-versed in doctrine. And the scripture says that it mentions rightly dividing the word of truth. So there is a right way to divide the scripture. And that's that's the, the, the thing about doctrine. You know, in doctrine, you don't just observe um, a part of scripture. Scripture has to interpret scripture and and. Scripture has to be compared with Scripture. For example, there are certain things in the, in the Old Covenant that are not, um, in terms of their practice, not applicable in the New Co Covenant. For example, uh, I read the book of Romans chapter 15, verse 4. He says that most of our things were written at four time, were written for our learning. So he calls all the things that were written in the Old Covenant, he said these were written for our learning. So, uh, so that we through patience and common of the scriptures might have hope. So in doctrine, you don't practice the old covenant. You learn from the old covenant. You see, that's what you see there. You don't practice the old covenant. It's not, it's not for application. If it will be applied, it will have to have um, a scriptural component, all right, or a repetition in the new covenant for it to be valid. For example, um, if in the New Testament somebody wanted to disregard his parents, you see that obey your parents in the Lord is in the old covenant and it shows up again in the new covenant. So it, it, it's, um, it's 
valid to be scripture. Now, I'll give you examples of, of, of doctrine. Um, the Bible says that in the mouth of two or three witnesses, 2 Corinthians 13 verse, verse 1, he said, this is the third time I'm coming to you. In the mouth of two or three witnesses shall every word be established. Now, this scripture is actually coming from um, the Old Testament. That was the, the word that um, uh, the Lord gave Moses in judgment. He said that you don't, you don't send somebody off. You don't prosecute him. You, you don't stone him because some, one person said something about him says you have to do it um, with reference to the mouth of two or three witnesses. And it's quoting the terms of the 17, verse 6, by the testimony of this, by the testimony of two or three witnesses. Alright, so this is a foundational truth in the scripture. It shows up in the old covenant, it shows up also in the new covenant. Now go to Matthew chapter 18, verse 16, Jesus is quoting the same thing, he says, but if he will not hear thee, okay, maybe we start from 15 so you get the context very properly. Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. For he shall, for he shall hear thee, thou hast gained, if he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. So Jesus Christ is telling people how to resolve conflict. He says, when um, you have an issue, he says, Go and see your brother and talk about it. You know, sometimes, uh, most of the time, people would rather go behind the person and talk about it behind the person. No, if someone has done something to you, he says, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained that brother. So one of the ways we solve relationship problem, all right, not, of course, not the other relationship. I mean, you're having a relationship with a friend, you know, uh, parents. One of the ways Jesus Christ um, I taught this in, in the message of faith. Um, one of the ways you you solve this is you go to the person and you 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 um, discuss the matter with the person. All right. He said, "If you shall hear the thou hast gained thy brother." Verse sixteen. Which is my word. He said, "But if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established." Now, what's the meaning of this in regards to? To doctrine because the word will be established in the mouth of two or three. So, any teaching that does not show up, all right, um, two in the mouth of two or three writers is not applicable for doctrine. Make sure you get that. Any, any teaching. That's not in the mouth of two or three witnesses. It's not applicable for doctrine. I'll give you an example. Paul talked about the women not preaching. Now, someone will say, why is, is the church not um, uh, observing that? Because Paul talked about it. He talked about the women not preaching. Now, you have to go, if what Paul wrote will be doctrine, now, first of all, remember that Paul wrote to a church. So, the peculiarity, and he didn't repeat everything he told the Corinthians to Philippians. How to understand? Everything he told Corinthians was peculiar to Corinthians. Everything he wrote to Philippians was peculiar to Philippians. So, we sit here, neither were we in Corinthians or Philippians, and neither did they also exchange their letters. But his words with scripture, it is either he was specifically addressing something to that church. If it's going to go beyond that church to becoming doctrine for us, it will have to have another witness. So another apostle will have to write on that. I don't know if you get what I'm trying to say. Another writer will have to write on that. So Paul wrote about the woman not preaching. Two things you see over there. That, you know, in some, in some places, the, the women don't preach, you know. Two things you see over there, that debunk that particular thing and show that it is not applicable in the church today is two things. Number one, he did not say a woman should not preach. But he says, let the woman be subject to 
her, husband, her husband. That means Paul was actually addressing a situation. He was not really talking about women not preaching. No, he was addressing a situation. Now, there was a peculiar thing that was happening um, in the church of Ephesus and the church of Corinth. Anybody who thinks that um, uh, feminism, you know, let's stand up for, you know, women's rights and all those things. Let's, anybody who thinks that it is new or it is a new age thing, like people are becoming woke, you, are, you don't know history. Go and read history. It's been there. In that time, especially in the, in the Ephesus church, there was something that was going on. Um, the goddess Diane, they, they, had, they had a goddess called Diane. That is where that teaching came from. So in that time, there was, now I mean, they, they are trying to fight uh, women equality, for women equality. At that time, it was woman supremacy. So at that time, the women were not listening to their husband. So you see um, Paul talking about the women submitting to their husband because it was an issue then. And Paul is writing per his knowledge of the scriptures and Peter talked about wherefore the holy women. So he was addressing the women, all right, um, uh, as holy women, that means people, women who are from God, all right, and how they were supposed to live their lives. He talked about Sarah calling Abraham Lord. Now, at that time, because these Ephesus people were not from Jerusalem, they did not have this upbringing. And the goddess Diane had a teaching that the women were superior to the, to the men. And it's creeping into the church. One of the things they used to say was that Eve ate the, the fruits before Adam. That means the woman got enlightened before the man. So Paul had to write to Timothy and said, in one of, the, in one of his writings, and said, the man was not deceived. It was the woman who was deceived. All right? And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. So Paul, Paul was debunking that particular teaching at that time. So that was the reason why he was teaching the woman to be subject to their own husband. Not every woman subject to a man. No, to, to her, her husband. So in certain places, you say to her own husband. And sometimes you say to the man. If he says to a man, it's different from to the man. If he says to the man, that means subject to her own husband. Not to every man, but to the man. That means to her husband. So it was a thing that was happening. So Paul was correcting something in the church at that time. Now, aside Paul writing that, he does not have a component from another writer. Someone says, oh, but he wrote it in two different places. No, he said in the mouth of two or three witnesses, not one person saying the same thing twice. He does not have another witness of that particular thing. So it's not, it's, it cannot be doctrine. It cannot be something that the church will follow that women should not preach. But the Bible also talks about in the book of Acts. Let's go to the book of Acts. Chapter 21, verse 8. It says, The next day, we that were of Paul's company departed and came unto Syria, and we entered the house of Philip, the evangelist, which was one of the seven, and abode with him. Verse 9. And the same man had four daughters, virgins, which did prophesy. See, Philip had daughters who prophesied. So, um, other verses did not say prophesied because it's actually the same word in Greek. It said, which preached, right? And the same man had four daughters, virgins, all right, which did preach. Now, some people to make a doctrine out of this and say, so if you are not a virgin, you cannot preach, you see? No, it's not, that's not what he's saying. He was trying to say they were unmarried. In the Bible, when someone is not married, it's called a virgin. Because if you are not married, you are not expected to do anything. So you observe doctrine. So in observing doctrine, you have to study. See, reading the Bible is not enough. You have to study the scriptures. You have to study the scriptures. Reading the Bible, one isolated scripture in the Bible is not enough. You know, one thing I'll tell you is that the, the Bible, you can make the Bible say anything. Like somebody put two scriptures together. And Judas hung himself. Brought another scripture. Where Jesus Christ said, go and do likewise. Brought them together and now began to say that that means we have to go and hang ourselves. Praise God. All right, so observe doctrine. Observe doctrine. Now, in observing doctrine, like I said, you have to study. Then sometimes in some of the renderings, also always remember that um, 
the scripture, right? The scriptures were um, written in Hebrew and Greek and some parts in Aramaic. And with that, sometimes there were a few issues with the translation to English. So not all Bible versions, you know, some people they read, not all Bible versions are saying exactly what is supposed to be said. So one of the key things you do when you are studying scripture is that you depend on the Holy Spirit for interpretation. You depend on the Holy Spirit for interpretation and you study with context. Let me give you an example. Genesis 49. So you read verse 22. Now at this time, Joseph is, um, Jacob is praying for his son and says, Joseph is a fruitful bull, even a fruitful bull by a well, whose branches run over the world. So now, verse 22, the word bull over there um, is the same word that can be used for another particular word. So you look at it and the translation. Now, first thing I'll tell you, you need to always remember that King James was not the first translation of the Bible. You would think King James was the first. No, King James was like the 21st or so. The reason it's popular is because King James, just like the name King James, he was like Queen Elizabeth, King James. He was the king of England. And he put a lot of money into translating the Bible. So it spread faster than the rest of the translations. And he was actually dashing the Bible. So King James became number one. You see what money can do, you see? <laughs> All right, so, um, so go to NIV of this particular verse. And we'll go to the message translation. Then we'll, come, we'll do a little comparison. Now, NIV says, Joseph is a fruitful vine. A fruitful vine near a spring whose branches climb over a wall. All right. Now let's go to the message translation. Now you see it was a vine, fruitful vine, whose branches run over the wall. Message translation says, Joseph is a wild donkey. Hey. NIV says, Joseph is a vine. Message says, Joseph is a wild donkey. What's the correlation between a vine and wild donkey? A wild donkey by the spring. So if context is not applied, you will think the scripture is contradicting itself. No. You will see, which one should we take? Should we take what NIV is saying or should we take what message is saying? Message says, Joseph is a wild donkey, a wild donkey by the spring, spirited donkeys on a hill. Go back to NIV. So you see, Joseph is a fruitful vine, a fruitful vine near a spring whose branches climb over a wall. So you have to compare this to the life of Joseph to know which one will be correct. Because some of the versions of scripture did not go to the original text. They went to King James. I don't know if you hear what I'm trying to say. And they mouthed the words of King James. They didn't go to the original text. So if King James made a mistake in translation, can he make a mistake in translation? Yes. Because some things are not um, grammatically right. I'll give you an example. I was teaching something about demons. Mark chapter 5 verse 9. And we'll see if this makes grammatical sense. Mark chapter 5 verse 9. Okay, let's start from verse 8. For he said unto him, Come out of the man, thou unclean spirit. So Jesus Christ casting out the devil. Now see what happens over there. And he asked him, what is thy name? And he answered, saying, my name is Legion, for we are many. Now look at this grammar. I am, for we are. My name is, for we are. It doesn't make any sense. Who are you? My name is Pastor Enoch, because we are. It doesn't make any sense. But spiritual is correct. It means this set of demons are a gang. Because some demons move in gangs. So this set are a gang. So spiritually, if you understand the operation... Spiritual operation of, of demonic spirits, you know that this is correct. But when you look, bring it to grammar, it's not. So if the, the one translating does not understand spiritual things, you make mistakes in trying to put some of the things over there. So that's why in King James, King James is very sincere about some of the things. In King James, when you see italics, it means it was not there. We put it there so it will make sense. All right? So observe doctrine. When you're a Christian, you observe doctrine, you, you, you get to, you know, let's go back to what I said concerning Joseph. So we see, which one will we take? Are we going to take his branches run over the wall or his spirited donkey? 
What brought this problem is just the bow. Because the bow is translated both as vine and as also as donkey. Where we have the answer is whose branches run over the wall. Because donkeys don't run over walls. Did you get that? Donkeys don't run over walls. If it was a horse, maybe we would think twice. A donkeys don't run over walls. He said, John, if it's a fruitful vine, even a fruitful vine by a well, whose branches run over the wall. So we would take the vine because the vine branches can run over the wall. So it is the running over the wall that makes us understand the context. So we have to give it to fruitful vine. So doctrine is, is you require study to understand doctrine. Now, because God said in the mouth of two or three witnesses is a word established, because God said that, that means everything in scripture is validated in twos or threes. It's called a witness. So if it is from God, you will not see it just once, you see it in twos or threes. There are two Adams. Jesus died twice, all right? So you will see Jesus was born twice, he was born, then he was born again, all right? Um, you will see all things appearing twice, twice. On the day of atonement, the scapegoat and the Lord's goods. You see everything happening in twos and threes. Twos and threes. Because if it's done like that, it, um, it becomes established by God. I hope you got that. All right. So, number one, I said the Christian will have to observe doctrine. Then point number two, I said the Christian should observe devotion. So I'll, I'll, I'll recommend to you that you, um, when you're studying the Bible, right, I recommend to you that you study very in-depth, right? You study very in-depth because um, you can only come out with doctrine when, like, doctrine shows you the whole trajectory of Scripture. Shows the whole trajectory, where everything is coming from. If, I, if, if you are around when I preach Christ and Christianity, um, you will know what I'm talking about. In Christ and Christianity, I show the whole, uh, everything about uh, the scriptures beginning from God revealed, then Israel, God's nation, the Messiah who comes from Israel and who starts the church. That's the whole thing about, about the Bible, all right? Um, and I explained to you why the books that are in the Bible were, were the books that were canonized. So all these things are within doctrine. Any other information that is extra doctrine, you cannot live your life on it. You can learn it, but you cannot live your life on it. What you can live your life on is what is in the scripture. Praise God. All right. Now, as I said, the next one was that observe devotion. Observe devotion. What does it mean to observe devotion? I said there are some things that a Christian will never be able to do until he has a devotion. Go to the book of Acts. Before Acts, let's go to Luke chapter 2, verse 24. I'll start reading from verse 24. And to offer a sacrifice according to that which is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves and two young pigeons. Verse 25. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. The same was a just and devout man. Use me in the NIV. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. So, you can be righteous and not devout. Some Christians are righteous and not devout. A devout man is not in the middle. Lot was righteous, but he was in Sodom. So, he was not a devout man. So, when we say a devout man, it means devoted man. You see? Righteous Lord. Bible calls him righteous Lord. And God calls him righteous. You are righteous. So, he was righteous Lord, but he was not a devout man. A devoted man is not in the middle. When someone is not devoted, these are some of the symptoms. He has a bit of the Lord to the Lord and a bit of the world. All right? But he's not so into the world that he misses God. But he's not also so into God that he misses the world. I don't know if you get it. So the person can, like when we say, oh, I have a good heart. He can have a good heart. He can have a good heart, he can have a good person, things are good, but he's not a devout man. There's something about devoted men. So this man, Simeon, was a righteous and devout. So, yes, he's righteous, 
but he is also devout because there's what devoutness brings. I'll show you in a bit. Now, he said he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. That's one of the things you see about devoted men. Even if God told them something has not come, they are waiting for it. They are devoted. They are not looking for another way out of it. A devout man. He will not change his mind about prayer because he prayed and something wrong happened. He's a devout man. Devoted to it. Go to the book of Acts chapter 10. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius. Um, uh, King James, please. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius. A centurion of the band called the Italian band. Right? A devout man. And one that feared God with all his house. He gave arms to all his people and prayed to God always. A devout man. A devout man. Let me tell you something about a devoted man. A devoted man is not idle. He's, he's devoted to the cause that he represents. If God does not call lazy people. God does not call lazy people. The day Elijah called Elisha, Elisha was plowing the field. God does not call lazy people. Because some people, you, you know, they are not devoted to anything. They're not devoted to a cause, devoted to reading, devoted to something. They're, not, they're just there waiting for a miracle. That's, that's fraudulent. Devoted to something must be devoted to something. So I said, a good Christian will observe devotion. And I gave you different devotions that you can observe. I mentioned devoted to, devoted to praying. That was Acts chapter 3 verse 1. Now Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer. If you have an hour of prayer, you will know that you never feel like praying at your hour of prayer. You mostly don't feel like prayer at your hour of prayer. But you just have to wake up and go and do it. Because your hour of prayer. Praise God. So a, a devoted man has an hour of prayer. So he's devoted to praying and devoted to the word of God. Um, David mentioned it in Psalm 119 verse 148. He said, my, my eyes prevent me in the night watches. Right? That I might meditate in thy word. Like uh, Pastor said, this month is a month of meditation. Nothing will move you to meditate. You have to stand up and meditate. There's no spirit of meditation that will come upon you. You have to wake up and meditate. You know, when you are devoted to something, you are like in constant faith. You are not trying to act faith. You are in like constant faith in it. When you are, you are there, like for example, anytime I don't feel like praying, all I need to do is to just start. It's a devotion. I have to just be devoted to it, right? And the third one, I said devoted to going to church. I have to be devoted to going to church. I have to be devoted to going to church. But we talked about how Jesus Christ went to the temple as his custom was, right? Went to his temple as his custom was. So that's devotion to church. The next one, I'm talking about devotion to giving. Devotion to giving. You have to be devoted to giving. Deuteronomy chapter 16, verse 16. Three times in a year shall all thy means appear before the Lord thy God in the place which he shall choose. In the feast of the unleavened bread, in the feast of weeks, in the feast of tabernacles, and they shall not appear before the Lord empty. So before he are telling them not to appear before the Lord empty, he has told them that they should, all, they should appear three times in a year. God, what if I don't feel like doing it? He said, appear three times in a year. He gives them a time, he tells them where to go. I was telling I was telling something at the modern church about um, an experience I had there. Uh, when I started my cell, when I was a cell leader, a guy came there, he was supposed to give his offering. And he took, when he had offering, you know, you can see he's one of those people who have been brainwashed to think that pastors are going to collect their offering. So when they collect the offering, he said, Pastor, <laughs> he started laughing. And he folded the money. He threw it. God, collect. Because as offering, you are giving to God. God, collect. Go collect second time. Go collect third time. He said, Oh, God did not collect it to me. Pastor, since God did not collect, I'm taking it back home. Foolish boy. <laughs> Go back to that scripture. Deuteronomy chapter 16 and 16. Three times in a year shall all thy meals appear before the Lord thy God in the place which he shall choose. So I asked him a question. I said, when you are plugging your laptop, where do you plug it? It's your socket. I said, do you pay your ECG bill in, in the socket? You put, you tie your ECG bill and say, you put in the socket, say, socket for supplying me electricity. Collect. No. Where do you pay it? 
ECG company. I don't want to give you. Do you plug your laptop there? No. Why do you take it there? Because ECG says, I will supply ECG in your house. When you want to pay, go to this place and pay them. He said, in the place with the Lord himself. So he said, bring the tithes and offerings into my house. God said, bring it into my house. See? Bring it into my house. So we take it to the house of God, where the word of God is being taught to you. Another thing I'll, I'll show you, Leviticus chapter 14, verse 28. I'll show you the, God's mind when it comes to, you know, things like this. And the priest shall put of the oil that is in the hand upon the tip of, of the right ear of him that is to be cleansed, and upon the thumb of his right hand, and upon the great toe of his right foot, upon the place of the blood of the trespass offering. Now, he's talking about the offerings, all right? So people are going to bring different kinds of offerings. Now, there are animals that are compatible with the offering. You cannot tell God what you want to give him. Say, oh, God, I don't have anything to give you, but my dog is in the house. God does not collect dog offering. God doesn't collect dog offering. <laughs> Sheep, goats, you know, God does not collect some offerings. And he stated the ones that he collects. Verse 29. And the rest of the oil that is in the priest's hand, he shall put upon the head of him that is to be cleansed, to make an atonement for him before the Lord. Now, when you start from verse, um, from verse 1 here, you understand the different offerings. I don't want to go into all that. All right? Verse 30. And he shall offer the one of the turtle doves or of the one young pigeons, such as he can get. Give it to me in the NIV. Now, this particular person he's talking about, you see... What he says, he said, then he shall sacrifice the doves or the young pigeons such as the person can afford. What's he saying? The one who does not have goat and lamb should get a pigeon or a dove. That he will not bring anything at all, dear God will not collect it. That he will not bring anything at all, God will accept it. He says that the person cannot afford a goat and lamb, he has given one to bring, a dove or a young pigeon. But that he will not bring anything at all. Because God is a spirit. So if you don't have the animals that are mentioned that are combating for the sacrifice, you don't realize stock, you're a poor person, you don't know. Is there anything you can afford? The one you can afford, you told me the one to bring dove and young pigeons. So I said something in church on Sunday. I said, when the woman, the widow, brought her two mites, I think the most humanitarian thing Jesus should have done was to give the woman back her money. He said, ah, you have tried. This is your last money, go back. No, Jesus collected it. And clap for it and still collected it. Why? Because the woman was expressing her faith and God on his feet. You get it? All right. Thank you, Holy Spirit of God. Thank you, Holy Spirit of God. Then I, I mentioned that we observe devotion and praise. All right. Psalm 119, verse 164. Psalm 119, verse 164. Seven times a day do I praise thee because of thy righteous judgment. Seven times. See, the guy is devoted to it. He's not feeling like um, praising, but he's still observing it. So we have observed doctrine, observed devotion. I'll go to the next one. Observe character. Observe character. Or you can also name it as godliness. First Timothy chapter 4, verse 12. It says, Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers. In word, so it says, Be an example. In word. In conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. So be and thou an example of the believers. Someone said, an example of a believer. See, there's a way. Give me Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Hallelujah. And he says, let your moderation be known unto all men. He said, no, in, in a Christian's life, there's moderation. When you have to do something so extremely to get people, you know, um, 
talking against you, not, not necessarily just talking against you, let's say, um, get people wondering if you're a Christian, depending on the cultural setting you're in, you know. Um, then you have to observe godliness. I'll give you an example. Many years ago, we had a swag service and I, I dyed my hair. And it was just for that service, truly. We, we, it was conceptual. So different people wore different things, you know. Trying to open our arms to everybody who wanted to come to church. So we had that service. But I noticed something. You know, dyed hair, you, can, you only notice it when you stand in front of a mirror. Because it doesn't paint or anything. You don't know that. You'll still be thinking your hair is black. So I tried to win a soul. Then look at me and look at my hair. And look at me and look at my hair. You know what? I've distracted the person from listening to my message. I noticed that while I had that hair, every police stopped my car. You can find and say, uh, why are they treating me? It's a stereotype. You don't know who I am. It's unnecessary. It's unnecessary. So immediately I went and I said, please, give me back my black hair. <laughs> you know, there should be moderation in everything. Moderation. Don't say you're a lady because you wear, or oh, this is what I feel comfortable in. So you come and sit inside church. And just wear just anything. There's moderation. And don't say you don't know what is decent. You know. And everybody knows what is decent. At least there are female leaders in church and they dress and we all see it. So why is it that there was a time, time I, I banned I ban bodycon. I banned it because we are, we are walking in church, we are seeing things. You don't like the message I'm preaching. I ban it. Walking in church and I say, oh, I feel comfortable in it. But please don't, don't say things like that. There's moderation for a Christian. And I've, I've, I've told them, you know, both guys and girls, look at your body to dress. I said, but this person was wearing it. Why is it that me, I'm wearing it and dress well. There's moderation. There's moderation. In fact, the man of God, Pastor Chris, recently mentioned about how when people have very, very bushy beard, you know, not the well-trained ones. You know, there are some very well-trained ones. Very bushy beard. You lose some trust. There are some places you go and look for a job. They, they don't trust you. <laughs> 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 they look at you and say, no, 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 no. You have lost 80% trust. Look, you will understand if you were probably pastor in church. If you are a pastor and you have those kind of things, you see how many members will be coming to your church. They don't trust you. So, this pastor is this. And it also depending on the cultural setting. Praise God. So you observe moderation in your life. Let there be, let there be moderation. Now there are some things that are associated with us when you're talking about observing um, character. Galatians chapter 5, verse 21. Envies, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like, of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Verse 22. He said, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. All right? The fruit of the Spirit. Now, this is not the fruit of the Holy Spirit. I have explained that before. This is not the fruit of the Holy Spirit. This is the fruit of the human spirit. You know? Um, how do we know? Because the Holy Spirit doesn't bear fruit. <laughs> Jesus Christ said, I'm the vine, here are the branches. Where do the fruits grow? They grow on the branches. So we bear fruit. The Holy Spirit does not bear fruit. So when we got born again, the fruit of our human spirit. Now, um, how do we also know that is a spirit? Remember that what I was teaching about doctrine is that you have to study. So context really matters. Context really matters. So you want to know that we are talking about the, 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 the Holy Spirit or our human spirit. Go to verse 20. Colossians 5, verse 20. 13. Now look at this. It says, now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. You see, the works of the flesh are manifest. 
Then he comes to verse 22 and says, the fruit of the spirit is so, the comparison is between flesh and spirit. And you don't compare flesh to Holy Spirit. You compare flesh to human spirit. It's a spirit, the spirit is willing, but the flesh, I say, that's where you do that. That's how you do the comparison. The spirit is willing, but the flesh uh, is weak. That's the comparison you do. Now, the spirit uh, lusts against the flesh and the flesh against the spirit. I know do what you're supposed to do. So the flesh is, is always in contrast with the spirit. So over here, the fruit of the spirit is not Holy Spirit because he has already talked about the works of the flesh. So the fruit of the spirit is love. So in your character, let there be love because it's already in your spirit. It's already in your spirit. There's, there shouldn't be anybody in this world that you, you can't love. See, you know, the real model of, of marriage, Christians are the ones supposed to model it. Christians are the ones supposed to show it. Because the feelings with which you get into the marriage, the feelings will go off because feelings are supposed to do that. Feelings are like fire. Solomon talked about it. He said like flaming fire. So in the beginning, it's like, have you seen it when fire starts? Boom! It's like this thing, it will never go out today. Today, it will never go out. It's going, boom, 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 boom. All over the place. The people are, they are texting themselves in the morning. Have you slept? <laughs> Just in case you have slept, I send you the angels of God. <laughs> Have you eaten? So the first, second year of that marriage, this one, they are fighting on who should cook for the other. This is how I will cook for you. So no, I love you. I would rather cook for you. So then they, the fight is on who, 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 who will cook for who. First two years, the feelings will go off. Feelings will die. Then, when they are Christians, because they have this other love, which is, does not need feelings. It's unconditional. It does not require feelings. You don't have to feel anything. So even if the feelings are there or not, because feelings fluctuate. You can really like somebody until the person starts snoring. But if you're a Christian, say, oh, see snoring. <laughs> I like it when you do the high tempo snoring. High tempo. <laughs> you see, over there, you have the fruit of the Spirit is love. No matter what anybody does to you, you have what it takes to love the person. I am even pushed to show love to people who stab me. Stab me, I'm about to show you love for my own sake. For my own sake. Sometimes you've never done some people evil, but all they seek to do is to do evil to you. I'll read something in Psalm 109 today. Let's go to Psalm 109 from verse 1. Look at what David was dealing with. Hold not thy peace, O God of my praise. For the mouth of the wicked and the mouth of the deceitful are open against me. They have spoken against me with a lying tongue. They compass me about also with words of hatred and fought against me without a cause. For my love, they are my adversaries. But I give myself unto prayer. Let's, let's take it from the message. No, no, let me take it from TLB rather. TLB. Say after me, say I can love everybody. Say, I'm full of love. I don't hate anybody. I cannot hate. He said, Oh God, my praise, don't stand silent and aloof while the wicked slander me and tell their lies. They have no reason to hate and fight me, yet they do. No, Andy, think about it. They have no reason to hate and fight me, yet they do. I love them, but even while I'm praying for them, they are trying to destroy me. So you wonder, why are you doing this? I've never done anything evil to you. Why do you do this to me? Do you know what it means for someone to be a pastor? I'll read it in message translation. My God, don't turn a deaf ear to my hallelujah prayer. Liars are pouring out in invective on me. Their lying tongues are like a pack of dogs out to get me. Backing their hate. Nipping my heels. And for no reason, I love them and now they slander me. Yes, me. And treat my prayer like a crime. They return my good with evil. They return my love with hate. Go to, I'll read it also in the Passion Translation. God of all my praise, don't stand silently by aloof to my pain. 
while the wicked slander me with their lies, even right in front of my face, they lie through their teeth. I've done nothing to them, but they still surround me with their venomous words of hatred and betrayal. Though I love them, they stand accusing me like Satan for what I've never done. I will pray until I become prayer itself. Jesus Christ said, pray for them that persecute you. Pray for them. Pray for them. Pray for them. You can love anybody. Anyone who's speaking against you, you can love the person. No, when people come close to me, the next thing is, they start loving God. No matter who it is. The next thing is, they start, they want to read their Bible. How many of it has happened to you? Where you just came, I was just talking about that. When you go back home, it's like you want to read Bible. You want to pray. You want to just love God. That's the kind of person you should be. Don't be the kind of person that when people listen to you once, twice, they want to stop church. Because you will talk about everybody talkable. do that. It's demonic traits. It's not good. It's not from God. Okay, what if the people did what they are saying? What did the people do? It? The Bible says love covers a multitude of sins. If they actually did it. Why don't you cover it? And if it is something that needs the attention of authority, why don't you take it to authority? you want to slander the person? Three years, four years, all of you will grow up, get married and have children. Do you want that story to be lingering for that person's child to come in here? Why are you being a devil? I see. I declare your praise. I want to give you offering at this point in time. Tell the whole world of your love. We want to pray for people who have done some evil to us. We want to pray for them now. Remember somebody who has done you some evil. Said something you was not supposed to say. We want to pray for that person. Pray for that person. 